Hello everyone, it's the PRL Podcast, back with you after a short break, and this is a PRL Book Club episode. I'm Slug, and joining me again are my good friends, Big Al. Here Hello. I am, it is wonderful to be back. And Jono. Hey guys. Jonathan Duncan. I've missed you guys, it's been a while. <laughs> Great to see you. Well, yeah, we've been on a little hiatus. The uh, NRL seasons had finished and the uh, Rugby League in the UK had been winding down. So, what have you guys been up to? Well, uh, obviously, been enjoying a little bit of International Rugby League to round out the year. Nowhere near as much as we had last year with the World Cup, mm. but still uh, sprinklings here and there. Yeah, enough to enjoy. Yeah, some really interesting World Cup qualifiers in Europe and the Americas going on as well. Uh, I've been actually doing a bit of holiday planning. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, got a, got a bit of a, a mid-year trip planned to Europe in 2019 mm. and hoping to catch a bit of rugby league. So oh. I've been waiting for the Super League fixture to come out, which it has. Now I'm waiting for the championship fixture to come out. So it's exciting times trying to, trying to sort of plan around that and hoping to get south of France at some point. He, he says like it's not the whole purpose of the trip. <laughs> Don't tell my girlfriend that, of course. <laughs> Doing it on the sly. So I said this was a PRL book club episode, and as you will have seen, if you follow us on Twitter, we've thrown out there some of the books we'll be doing, but the book tonight is Touchstones by Steve Mascord. Now, Steve Mascord has quite a few fans in this room. <laughs> I think we've dubbed him an immortal in waiting. <laughs> yeah. A progressive rugby league immortal in waiting. He was actually kind enough to interview us for the 4020 magazine. He was. That was you had that honour, Jono? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. We got the article out. I think it was the October issue. We, we did uh, we did actually reach out and try and get Steve to come on the podcast, but He's actually in Jacksonville. Jacksonville at the moment. We've so got, uh, uh, for the Jamaica Canada, yeah, the Americas, among, among other things. Yes, yeah. yeah so, so he, w- he that, w- that, my friends, is dedication, <laughs> and that is why he is an immortal in waiting. That's right. That's right. And I think we we figured out afterwards that, that the uh, time zone was what what o'clock in the morning at the time we're recording this. Uh, it's about three thirty a.m., which even for like a, a rocker like Steve might be a bridge too far <laughs> yeah. when he's got some rugby league commitments. That's yeah. right. For a fairly middle of the road podcast in Australia, <laughs> so your words. <laughs> so, um, for anyone out there who doesn't know who Steve Mascord is, who wants to basically give a description there. Uh, I actually, I'd like to, to defer the, the description to Jono because I feel I'll, I'll, be, I'll become too gushy. <laughs> it's really hard for me to separate what he is with, with how I feel about him. So, is well, that okay? Sure. I wonder yeah. how, if he ever listens to this, I wonder how he'll feel hearing that. <laughs> well, I mean... Might lock, get up and lock the door? Or? <laughs> well, I mean, Steve is a long-time rugby league journalist. I think he was born... Uh, and Ray, well, he's raised in Wollongong mm-hmm. and made his way as a Steelers fan in as an apprentice or cadet, a cadet journalist. Cadet and you know, fell in love with the game of rugby league, fell in love with hair metal and rock and roll music, and, and sort of as he sort of uh, centered his life around those two passions. That's and right. I suppose this is what this book is all about. Yeah, and and follows it wherever it takes him around the world. Yeah, which is you know, yeah, what an adventurous life to her. Yeah. That's right. But touchstones, we're here for touchstones, and we were trying to think of a way to describe it earlier that wasn't just Steve talks us through his life choices. <laughs> so um, we're just going to read the back of the book because we thought that was a pretty good way of summing it all up. Steve Mascord spent all his money on twin obsessions, rugby league and rock and roll. Age 47, Steve owned precisely nothing aside from hundreds of records and CDs and almost every edition of Rugby League Week, all piled in a small storage room. This sounds like you, Big Al. (laughs) I know, I have all of his old big leagues. (laughs) (laughs) No mention of multi-singlets. His credit cards were maxed out. Steve knew he was adopted but had never met his birth family and wasn't aware his mother had searched for him until her dying day. Finally, he was introduced to cousins, uncles and aunties he'd never known, and for the first time felt loved and whole. And he looked around that storage room 
and felt a profound sense of loss. He appeared in newspapers and on radio and television. People thought he was successful, but had he created a real life for himself or had he been living in denial, a childhood fantasy compensating for what had been missing? Steve thinks, enough of being Steve Mascord. Time to be Andrew John Langley, his birth name. He decides to conduct an audit. What to keep in his new life? What to leave behind? To this end, he sets himself the task of going to a game and a gig every week for 52 weeks with Andrew to decide if Steve's obsessions are worthy or worth less. Even the most basic aspects of Steve's life are up for review as he and Andrew crisscross the globe. On their travels, they assess the relevance of league and hard rock, the foibles of modern journalism and the nature of fame. Does growing up require us to abandon our dreams? This journey is touchstones. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Well, it is really a book of deep reflection, a hundred classic anecdotes, and eventually he gets a new perspective on life. I, I really I really enjoyed the book. What did you think, Big? Well, I guess before we go into the book, I suppose, like I've said before, I'm a huge, huge fan yeah. of Steve Mascord. So, uh... Big Al is not... I wouldn't say I'm a, a regular reader, so I really only read when I'm on holidays. I don't know why, but that's just the habit I've fallen into. Sure. But, so it's, it's rare that I will get excited about a book that's coming. I had this on pre-order, <laughs> direct from the publisher before I hit the shelves, because I was so excited about it. Because Steve Mascord, to me, is such a... He is everything... He's probably one of the one of the reasons why I'm so in love with the game of rugby league. So I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, I... I you know, maybe ten years ago, I wasn't I wasn't the deliberate one-eyed supporter of the game that I am now. In fact, I used to sort of pretend to be kind of interested in like what was happening with the cricket team or whatever, really? whatever, whatever. And it wasn't until I saw an interview with Steve Mascord where I think actually I think he was on NRL 360 or something. Ben Iken described him as like the maddest rugby league fan ever. Hates all other sports, just <laughs> loves rugby league. And I realised, oh wow, you can. Like, it's okay to only like rugby league. And from yeah. that moment on, uh, like, that's... I sort of just realised you can you can like what you like. And if that's only if that's one thing and damn the rest, then that's okay. That's a big um, journey you've been on because there are times when Jono and I might sneak in a comment about what's happening in the cricket and you look like you want a glasses. <laughs> I mean, we, I don't want to get into one of Big Al's classic rants, so I'm just going to park that. But, yes, I don't like... I don't enjoy cricket and I'm... I, but anyway, but so Steve Mascord sort of he showed me that it's it's okay to, to to love what you love, and if that's rugby league, if that's whatever, and that's and that's all you're into, then that, and that's fine. Um, but it's not only that; it's the way he thinks about the game. So I, I was thinking about this today. Steve Mascord is like my rugby league journalism version of Jono, because Jono always brings to all the crazy stuff I say. <laughs> he brings logic and reasoning and separates editorial from from fact. I suppose. I'm a wet blanket. Well, no, come on, that's that's being harsh. And and Steve's the same. So he he's not sensationalist. He's very much this is the thing. This is this is what's going on, and this is this is how things could be better. I suppose he's very different to the usual carbon copy of a rugby league journalist in mm, the modern age, especially I suppose through the eighties, nineties, and noughties, where he sort of cut his teeth. Yeah. It's a very alpha male dominated industry, and Steve is not an alpha male. I, no. I wouldn't think he described himself as that. Yeah. So he's really found his niche mm. where he can be enthusiastic, get along with who, everyone. He gets yeah. along with everyone, but he, he doesn't fall into the, the trap of this aggressive, macho, no, chauvinistic uh, journalism yeah. that can sometimes uh, overshadow the game. Yeah. Plus, he's a visionary. Like, he, he loves the game, and he knows that... Like it, it, he loves the game more than he loves anything about the game. Mm. So because he wants the game to survive, he knows mm. that he identified international rugby league, and I'm sure he wasn't the only one. But as of the of the most important strategically, like you know, back in the early '90s, he was going to go and see the Thailand Stars play the, yeah, you know, before anybody, before everyone would just laugh at him or whatever. And now we're suddenly in this this um, boom of international rugby league. Everyone, everyone pretending that they love it, but like it's people like him. Mm. That identify that and, and push that as if you like if you love the game then this is where we've got to go mm. and so he's that, also a realist there is like a bit of a I'm going to put it in 
quote unquote boom. It's not quite a boom because there's no money yet with international rugby. I say boom of interest. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> boom of interest. But um, he's also a realist, so everyone's getting excited. But he's also letting everyone know that hey, it's still a minnow sport at the international level. It's not paying for itself. I mean, they need to keep pushing. Yeah. Need to keep pushing. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, what did you think of the books like? I mean, you, you had a read of it as well, didn't you? I did. Um, it, it just, it, it was very familiar and easy read. And yeah. that, that was that was really good. I, I find myself, um, I found myself actually transposing bands I like <laughs> <laughs> into the story, sort of like pasting over the top of bands, the bands that Steve's like, because... They're not necessarily bands I like. So you're taking out Kiss and putting in... Yeah. Soundgarden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. But um, but apart from that, yeah, and it's just... Um, I think because it, 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 there were familiarities with childhood and me mm. loving rugby league so much and so on, I think just the fact that it was also very personal mm. kind of made that a bit... Like hit a bit harder. Yeah, so I, I definitely was not prepared for that. I didn't really know what the book was going to be like. Other than that, like, yep, he'd go to a gig in a game every week for a year, and then I, I thought it was just going to be about that experience. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be this this personal journey of discovery, and like, it's very Steve Mascord to not like he doesn't really ever hold anything back. Like, he's, mm. he's quite matter of fact. Like this is a thing. Like he's famous for for not being able to tell a lie and all that mm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. It was really yeah quite intimate in, in detail about. Aspects of his life. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'll be comfortable writing about. Yeah, that surprised me a bit as well because from what you read with his journalism and what you see on social media, you don't really get an insight too much into into some aspects of his personality. You see the guy, the positive guy, who the enthusiastic guy about rugby league, but you don't necessarily see the emotional side, which you know is quite is quite evident in the book. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that part of it as well. I mean. Also, what I liked about the book was it was actually linked to one of our great mottos in Progressive Rugby League land, which is winning is secondary. So he goes to 52 games in the year, and not once does he dwell on who's won or lost. It's really all about the journey. A a random reflection from the game. Yeah, exactly right. One of those games that he went to that really stood out to me, and I wish I'd remember the detail, I think it was... um, Trinity Wakefield maybe like a reserve grade contest mm. where there were six people there yeah um, and I think like and that's, he knew them all <laughs> yeah he knew them all <laughs> yeah well, so it's really about uh, you know the people he meets along the way it might be in the breakfast line at the, the dingy motel or a few old, old fellas from the north of England who want to go on a train spotting trip to the south of France but uh, it's those sort of stories that punctuate the book and it and it's quite it's quite fascinating and what I really found with, with Steve I haven't been obsessed uh, as you began with Steve over the years. I, 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 think, I, I wouldn't well. say obsessed, I would just say I'm, I'm mascot positive. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I'm a booster. Well, he, he's a guy who sees the silver lining as well. I mean, he considers the cards he's dealt and finds the best possible way from there. He was adopted, which would might be tricky for some people, mm. but he put a positive spin on it and it was like a, a ticket to a life that was unencumbered by expectation or convention. Uh, he, he took it as though it gave him the license to live the way he wanted to live. And so, like, there's really an overarching positivity about him. But, like we say, it's punctuated with some pretty severe self-deprecating well, slivers of honesty. A- Andrew, Andrew Langley was <laughs> yeah. pretty damn critical he and is. pretty damn harsh. Yeah. That's true. But even Steve, like, is pretty honest about his own, uh, what he considers his failings as a journalist throughout the book, where he says, I'm not good at this sort of journalism. I stuffed up here. I embarrassed myself here. I wrote the wrong thing there. Probably probably maybe I don't know that's he's pretty honest about um, his career but uh, you know at the same time he shows us through the writing of the book what uh, an engaging writer is from his positivity mm. from his different perspective of the game that most people have mm. so some, some people would see uh, a game that finishes 1816 it's been a bit of a drab contest but people get really excited by a close finish Steve would would not be excited unless it was good for the game. Yeah. He sees things from a holistic perspective. Yeah, and another thing that kind of stood out for me was, I guess, a reminder of the graft 
yeah. that comes with journalism sometimes. Yeah. When he's talking about driving to Coffs Harbour <laughs> to cover the game and he has to stay in Newcastle, he has to find a, like a, a motel yeah. and he only sleeps for about four hours because he's got to get up and keep driving. <laughs> like that kind of thing, that, that dedication. Yeah. To but it seemed to me that he didn't mind that part of it. He likes the, the journey and being on the road. He likes with, the road, yeah. With, yeah. with his records and things like that. The thing that I seemed, that seemed to me that got him down about the grind of being a rugby league journalist was the fact that, um, you know, I suppose the, the business-like nature that rugby league became, and so they would only let one or two people out um, to, to talk to journalists instead of having your pick of the whole team. So that sort of thing, so therefore it became more monotonous for him, he became less in, interested in the game as a whole because it became a business for yeah. him. And so I, I think he had to reflect and realign his relationships to not only rugby league but to, to rock and roll because he's not afraid to dish up the truth syrup not only to himself but to his two passions of the last 30 or 40 years, mm. rugby league and rock and roll. And I feel like from reading the book, for him leading up to the writing of this book and what led to, to this idea for the book was that those two passions lost a bit of fun for him. So rugby league became a big business and as, as sports grow, that's what happens and you lose that sort of soul in a way. And for rock and roll, it was always a big business but now it became a, a small business and it's sort of dying a slow death. And so there's, a, there's different... He has different relationship. He had to actually realign his relationships with them to find the fun again. So with rugby league, it's getting away from the day-to-day grind of the big business of the NRL and finding a a niche around international rugby league especially and concentrating mainly on that and getting away from the Australian game largely. And for rock and roll, it's like it's kind of um, tending to a dying art. You know, instead of like being the, the outrageousness of the late 80s and early 90s of uh, you know the hair metal era um, he sort of realises that it's kind of that sort of he accepts that it's dying and he's sort of tending to it <laughs> he's sort of holding yeah, his hand yeah, in the yeah, hospital I, bed. I agree with that it's a very again we've already gone through Steve's you know um, personal conviction and all that sort of stuff but he, he he's very honest that he doesn't like these things because they're like in or popular yeah. or anything like he just likes them because he does mm. um, and he's sort of in, in many ways, like I, I found him talking about both his love for things, but then also the fact that he can't. Things have almost become habitual for him. So, yeah. like, like going to rugby league games had just become box ticking. Like he felt yeah. he had to do it rather than he actually wanted to do it. Almost a, a little like obsessive compulsive. Yeah. Um, which you know, I also found as a big warning sign for me. Would you be like, saying that if he was on the line? <laughs> well, he wrote about it. Like that's yeah, what he said. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, and he's he's. Um, uh, there's a couple of passages where he would he'd be really descriptive of like the the wild rock and roll ways of the 80s where mm. getting wasted and being on drugs at the time was like really cool and, mm. and the popular thing to do and now it's completely it's naff almost to be like the yeah. the piss rock and roll star it's all about like healthy living and stuff like that and yeah, how he associates with that in modern times mm. but G's had some experiences hasn't he especially like um, obviously we, we know I knew he was obviously a rugby league journalist and I've spoken to pretty much every personality in the game across the world that's there to speak to but I didn't know before reading this book the type of people he's got in contact with in the rock and roll industry including for Kerrang at such a young age I had no idea he was a rock and roll journalist at all and like yeah he talks about his like his crazy days like in the early 90s on on Sunset Strip like (laughs) Being flown, wow. away, flown around uh, America, LA by record companies. And Gene Simmons showing around the stage. That, yeah. yeah, quite yeah. incredible. And it sort of takes me back because he does say that he feels like a little bit of a, a, a latecomer to the rock and roll party because the, the big era of the hair metal uh, time was the late 80s or the 80s basically. And he basically started becoming a journalist for rock and roll in the early 90s so he feels like he was a bit late to the party same as me when my, when I came to a rock and roll party but it wasn't a late 80s hair metal party it was a mid 90s Australian rock and roll party you know there was the bands like You Are My Cruel Sea yeah. Custard uh, I thought Rigor you were about Tata. to tell us about literally turning up late to a party <laughs> <laughs> I've only done that once in my life I respect time uh, but yeah so when that was I, I came to that party in like 1999-2000 I was like hey let's 
I'm ready for Australian rock and roll. Everyone's like, it's over, man. <laughs> Recovery's not on anymore. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> and similarly, in rugby league terms, I came to the party late from a Parramatta perspective. I was born in 1983, a year that Parramatta won their third premiership in a row. And my memory begins in 1987, the year after Parramatta's oh, last right. premiership victory. So I don't remember any of Parramatta's Is victories. that your rugby league memory or just generally your memory? <laughs> well, I can't remember anything that Parramatta won, so I'm assuming my memory starts in 1987. <laughs> well, I'm the same with you. Like, I, I grew up a passionate Balmain supporter, and I, having never, ever seen them win a premiership, yeah. and, and with no possibility of that ever happening again. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So I came to the Parramatta party, and like, how cool is Parramatta? It was like the early 90s, basically. It was like... They suck, man. <laughs> you missed out. The 80s were cool. But on, on the on the rock and roll journalism thing, you're right. So, like, he, he was a really young rock and roll mm. journo. But, like, there were, there were parts in the, in the book where he had been, um, like, sent... Wasn't he sent a demo of um, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses to review for a magazine when yeah. he was about 14 years old? How did... How? how I think how? it was a bit older, but, yeah, he... He's and then initial... he took it to the sand dunes at, like, Coma Beach and then said, worst album ever, I think, was his review of it. Like, it was that it was terrible. And he admitted that he got that yeah, wrong. Yeah, so that's the, that, that is a great album. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> so, fascinating life, really. book has made you reflect personally on yeah. some parts of your life? Yes, well, it made me reflect on, on uh, my, my past, and I had a similar unhealthy relationship with rugby league, uh, you know, about, I'd say, five or ten years ago, where it, it got the better of me. We were hot and heavy. It was, it was, pretty, <laughs> it was a pretty intense relationship, and I, I couldn't get enough. Is, it, is this a relationship that, you know, friends and family would have frowned upon? Well, I mean, there was one moment... Uh, Should you be on Bright and Prejudice? <laughs> there was one moment when, uh, when I realised I had a problem. It was when I was at a wedding uh, in September and I, I faked having a, a stomach issue so I could go to the bathroom and watch most of the game uh, on my phone. <laughs> wow. well, this would have been about five years ago, so um, I sort of realised at that point. I was lying to my friends and family <laughs> just so I could see what's happening in the semi-final. Yeah. An addict always knows how to get to the... <laughs> yeah. get to what they want get to right? the good stuff yeah. so I found like Steve I had to realign my relationship with rugby league in a less is more sort of way so I don't I don't sort of um, I've sort of stepped back uh, I suppose in, in a way that a couple sometimes will sleep in separate bedrooms so like you you know like we need a bit of space from each other and so we can appreciate each other from a, a slightly longer distance and so now I see rugby league in a different light than when I saw it from way close up it was a nose to nose for so long and like uh, rugby league had morning breath I had bad flatulence so we're getting on each other's nerves and so now we're we're essentially in different bedrooms and 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 we we still interact with each other this quite often. This is classic Jono stuff, by the way. <laughs> what, the flatulence? The flatulence, yeah. Oh, damn it, you got there first. All right. So, so yeah. So, I'm, I'm a bit thankful that five years ago, Jono didn't have access to the 24-hour kind of regular <laughs> streaming services that yeah, you have now. Yeah, it could have been quite, quite mm-hmm. scary. What, did you guys have similar personal reflections of this book? Yeah, shone upon you. I, I definitely, I definitely had. It gave me pause for reflection. Um, less, less about rugby league and more about life choices. Yeah, um, okay. So, yeah. I, I, after finishing this book, I sort of saw it as both a uh, a celebration and, a, in many ways, like a cautionary tale of following your dreams mm. and, like, because I think Steve and Steve will probably admit that he's been so he's been so one eyed on following his two passions mm. that he's he's sacrificed a lot of other stuff because of that. And mm. some things he doesn't really care about, and some things he probably does a little bit. So, mm. like he has no like equity, we'll say to to you know talk in, in financial terms. He doesn't seem too fussed about. Mm. Um, but he sort of lacked a lot of uh, I guess intimate relationships mm. with like not just like the fairest ex, but. Um, like people as well because he was, mm. he was just travelling around so much he didn't really get time to be in one spot to, to forge those bonds or anything like that so yeah. in many ways um, I, I, I am quite jealous of his ability to, to do what he wants mm, um, yeah. but uh, at the same time knowing that if you are going to do that sort of thing you, you have to 
Mm. You have there are certain sacrifices you've got to make for that. I I'm, I'm being, sorry, no go. I, I just can't even imagine living a life of Steve Mascord. I mean, that's what I was talking about before. He sort of used the fact that he was adopted and in a positive way, and sort of said, you know what, I'm going to live my life the way I want. Um, I'm no nothing's going to hem me in. Mm. Whereas me, I, I had a different upbringing, obviously a very uh, almost sheltered upbringing, very close knit family. Yeah. I could, could never dream of even considering such a life, yeah. and, and I'm yeah. sort of almost, yeah. uh, a, you know, almost a little jealous about what Steve. Uh, can do and I'm sure we're all a bit jealous well that that was kind of my personal reflection on it because um, you know grass is always greener Mm. isn't it and so you know he mentions quite a lot you know uh, you know I've never bought a house I've never had kids kind of thing Mm. and then I'm sitting there going, well, well, you know, maybe I'm lucky. And then he'll just talk about flying off somewhere else, interesting in the world, just <laughs> yeah, to follow yeah, his dreams. Yeah. And I'll go, oh, that's what happens when you have kids yeah. in a house. Yeah, so there, I, think, I think there was a quote in there from, maybe it was Russell Crowe, where they said, like, I, I'm both jealous of and pity Steve Mascot. Yeah, like, right. For, yeah. But both that freedom and then also the, the stuff that he's, he's sacrificed for that freedom. But I'm sure exactly the same with all other things. Yeah. If I had that... Like the that kind of freedom, I would be in the same boat. Exactly, going. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, what if I'd yeah yeah, yeah had exactly. had a more kind of normal life? Mm. I guess you'd say. Yeah. Can I also say, like, from the photos in the book, some nice photos in the book, and there's a lot of descriptions of Steve. He seems to drink a fair bit, and like he's vomiting through his, his nose. But let me tell you. He's looking damn good in those photos. He's got a, he's got a beautiful thick head of presidential hair. Uh, this lifestyle has been good to him. I think he's like late forties, early fifties by now, or something, or late forties perhaps. He's looking good. Whereas like me, I see I see that that thick presidential hair as a, as a receder. I'm a receder. I, I, I look straight to the hairline, and you're doing pretty well, Steve. Well no one can you? see you, Johnny. You don't have to say that. And, I, and I'm sure Steve will be flattered by. by he's looking good. <laughs> You drink so a lot. There, there is a certain danger in, in putting photos of your childhood house in your book read by obsessives like that. Because <laughs> I do actually like the, the beaches down in down yeah. in Wollongong. Are, I go there often in the summer. How, how far from your house to Wingdang? Have you Google um, mapped it? I've, I've, I've been to Wingdang many a time. Like I, <laughs> Before this book came out, so I know the area quite well. I like to go down to those beaches during the summer because it's it's only like, you know, 90 minutes from Sydney yeah. and you just you just avoid all the other... All the, like the parking and the people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like you got all these beaches to yourself. Um, so when that photo came out and it, this is the address of it, I seriously considered, and without like, a, oh, wouldn't it be funny? I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I've got to go and get a photo in front of it. And <laughs> to it was, pay homage. Well, then I sort of went, oh, you know what? Who would you ever show it to? I'd probably show it to you guys, <laughs> but I ask you not to tell anyone. Um, <laughs> or, or broadcast it on a podcast, you know? Yeah. But I didn't do it, so oh, I thought so, about okay, doing right. it. So I never actually did, but, but it's, it's it's probably just as scary. You never know. You just never know what kind of fans you have lurking in the show. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So, so that's the moral to take out of this episode, isn't it? What, what about us? Us as three people who have sort of been born and bred essentially in Sydney. Uh, Steve obviously was born and bred in Wollongong, Windang. Uh, he doesn't have too many complimentary words for our fair city. You know, it's a town of bullies. Um, and I wonder if he, you know, being from Wollongong, that was one of the reasons why he feels a lot more comfortable in the north of England. You're sort of, you're sort of removed from the main city, London, yeah. or Sydney in our case, and you're sort of in a community, a smaller community that uh, binds together... And has a you know a single passion if it's rugby league in this well, case. Well, can I say, uh, I, uh, growing up on the central coast, yes, which is virtually the same as yeah, Wollongong, but in the other direction. Yeah, um, you know, we would sit there, we would sit up there and look down at Sydney and go, oh, it's all a bit kind of yeah. <laughs> interesting and scary down there. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, it, there there is very uh, a very definite distinction mm. between people who grow up. In Sydney, and people who grew up just around Sydney, in my yeah, opinion, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think if you're if you grew up in Sydney, like myself and you, Big Al, you don't really know anything else, and you're like, yeah, it's great. What are you talking about? But people who have lived elsewhere, and especially like on the fringes, like uh, Wollongong or Central Coast, I think sometimes you get into it, and it does feel a bit overwhelming. And and Steve's right. There is there is a an element of of like 
alpha male bullying culture, especially in the rugby league community and possibly the rugby league media community in Sydney. Yeah, I, I really like the link that he makes between that the adi- the attitude of Sydney, which is it's it's a town of bullies and it's it's all it's do whatever you can to get the better mm. of the person that you're dealing with and how that is because rugby league Sydney is the birthplace of rugby league in this country. Yeah. That that attitude permeates throughout the game as well. Mm-hmm. And that why and that's why both the city and the game can be incredibly petty. Both the city and the game can be incredibly focused on short-term wins for for long-term sacrifices. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, visionary Steve the visionary makes that link, and I think mm. it's very true. All right. So, if you have to pick a favourite part of the book, what would you throw up there? Mine would be it's just a, a silly little anecdote that's in there about one one time late on a Thursday night in Sydney, he's at Frankie's Pizza Bar, um, <laughs> listening to the house band, and he hears, "Oi!" Mascord, and it's Gordon Tallis and Andrew Johns. <laughs> Man, what a life! Yeah, like amazing stuff. <laughs> imagine. Can you imagine? I um, my favourite part of the book was a chapter called France. And it's about a trip to France, believe it or not. And I, I sort of mentioned it half before. I think a few people who knew he was doing this book, uh, a few people from the north of England, got in touch with him and said, "Hey, we're going to see some rugby league in France. Do you want to join us?" And it's a lovely few days of just um, going through the south of France and, and you know, enjoying the rugby league culture, what's left of it. Um, it seems to have died off a bit from the descriptions there, but as I mentioned earlier, I'm sort of planning a trip, hopefully, to the south of France uh, later in the year or early in the mid next year, so I sort of use that as a bit of a travel guide. So, Steve, if you have any tips, you know, get in touch I'd like to know, is it Car- Carcassonne? Is oh, that the Carcassonne, best? Carcassonne, that's the place. Avignon, Perpignan, Toulouse? Let me know. But I really enjoyed that. It was a cute little chapter with a, a few rugby league tragics from the north of England, a couple of old fellas. And they had a, a great few days, and I really was along for the journey. Yeah. Well, I think I think the sign of a, a good book mm. is something that really kind of takes something you hold as a truth mm. and upends it, yep. essentially. So the, the chapter about state of origin mm. and where it should sit or where it does sit in, in Steve's view in, in, in terms of overall rugby league importance yeah. was very interesting for me and really made me kind of sit back and take a look at what state of origin is. Mm. And, you know, it's right. It's not, it's, there's so much hype. It's built up so much. But is it actually the best rugby league you can possibly see mm. well no but that's that's the marketing isn't it yeah I mean yeah. it's a behemoth yeah. there's no doubt about it but, and I think that's a it's almost a reflection of what I was saying before for Steve especially it's a sign that rugby league has lost its fun and its soul it's really like all about money big business and um, those dollar signs it, for me we've discussed it throughout the year I think State of Origin is very important to drag in the casual fan. It's one of the few times of the year when non-rugby league fans will watch the game. So it's obviously become a central part of the calendar. What we don't want to see is it to is to suck up all the energy from other parts of the game. So from the NRL, especially from the international game. Yeah. So, I mean, I think his broader point is, yes, great State of Origin, but don't, don't let it affect negatively other parts of the game yeah yeah and that that i mean I, i've been pretty vocal about state of origin getting in the way of international rugby mm. league and that opinion has definitely been shaped and informed by my learnings from the book of mascot mm. um from you know i've been been lapping up anything that he's been putting out over the best part of 15 years and he's again it's, it's that what's best for the game and what's best for the future of the game um vision that he's or he always seems to have yeah. that has made me a lifetime fan. Right. <laughs> and things seem to be going in that direction Well, with the, with the, sh- with the scheduling of the season? Yeah, I mean, like we said, there's, there's a boom in interest, whether that translates into a long-term sustained or maybe once, you know, Andrew Feeder and Jason Tomalolo either retire or are less good, mm. is, that, mm. is that hype around Tonga still going to be there? Because mm. it's really, if that hype around Tonga didn't exist, we mm. wouldn't be where we are right now with International Rugby League. But it's all about, like, for International Rugby League to become as as big or bigger than State of Origin, we need to take a short-term hit to the cash injection or interest yeah. injection on Origin to build up International Rugby League. Yeah. And that's what Steve's always talking about. But again, because of the, the Sydney 
rugby league attitude of uh, what what's working right now is working, and I don't want to sacrifice a million bucks next year, even if it might make me ten million in five years. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what we're dealing with here. Part of the book that got me interested was just a random list that Steve threw in there called Rules for a Carefree Life. Mm. Now, this is a great list, and uh, not necessarily <laughs> what a list. back in reference. God, he writes it's, some good bloody lists, it's doesn't sequential. he? It's sequential. It's nothing you can't do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wanted to throw these at you, and you don't necessarily have to refer back to the book. I just want your thoughts, really, mm. on, um, on, you know... What, how you would go yeah. living your life according to these rules. Right. How about that's the angle Let's we go. take? Right. So, so what, this is, what's the list? What, what's the heading? Uh, rules for a carefree life. This is like a like a BuzzFeed style. Like how mascot are you? These ten questions reveal. That's right. Yeah. How yeah. how mascot can you be? All right. You're ultra mascot. <laughs> you. He's hoping. <laughs> I hope I get it right. <laughs> you don't stay home for more than two hours. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Number one, don't try to make anyone else do anything. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. No, so cool. that's, a, that's a bit kind of vague. What do, you think, what do you think he meant by that? I think he meant like, it's like, if, think of it in relationship terms. If you have to change someone yeah. or make someone change to sort of like be with you, then that's not, it's not, yeah. it's yeah. not a true, okay. it's, it's bad. It's I, not, I, I remember my, my cousin, my older cousin, who said that once to me, he said, if I give you, I was in my early 20s, if I give you one piece of advice, it's this, people don't change, don't try. Right. So uh, I, I'd agree with that. Mm. Okay. But that, that, that's, that's kind of a broad way of expressing that. I think like, that can be anything from that to, you know, don't make your children pick up their clothes off the, <laughs> off the ground. Don't make them. Yeah, but it's, also, it's <laughs> also like if, if you're in a room of alpha male uh, machismo journalists that uh, are really getting up your nose, it's a way of just going, eh, they can be how they want to be. Yeah. I'm me. I'm not worried about it. It's not gonna, it's not, I'm not going to get uptight about it. Yeah. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. They can yeah. do whatever they want. Uh, like... I would I, call I refer you to the book of Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> Have a nice day. That's right. <laughs> if you're walking in that room, you just see a bunch of Kents. <laughs> eh? mm-hmm. eh? yeah, got you there. All right. <laughs> Truth over loyalty all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting one. Like, uh, that is a very hard one to live up to. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is quite a standard... So, so I guess that's a kind of reference to boys' clubs? Yeah, it's a similar thing you know. because in, in a... In a, our sort of masculine world, it's sort of like you know, it's the bros code or whatever. That's right. It's like you know, you, you got each other's back yeah. no matter what, which yeah. sort of flies against what that is. But I mean, total respect for that rule, principle. Yeah, principle. But it also could get you into trouble, right? Like, how far does your like? There's there's truth and there's loyalty, but like, you know, if you're quite loyal to like your mother or for your, or your father, like, yeah, yeah. Well, see, I, I when I read that. I immediately thought of you guys because that that's basically the kind of I don't know ethos that you guys have sent yeah. my way throughout all our recordings and I must my thought immediately after that was I don't think I'd ask either of you to help me hide a body <laughs> Cause... that's because you both know we're terrible light yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> alright next point anyone who tries to choose your friends for you is not your friend agreed absolutely yeah. that's, that's a... they can get stuffed yeah and it's an important lesson to tell your kids uh, it's a very hard lesson to tell your kids because this sort of happens more in the schoolyard yeah, yeah. I'd imagine uh, and it's it's pretty tricky especially when you're at that sort of vulnerable age of let's say I don't know 12 to 16 where you're sort of having friends foisted upon you mm. even if you don't really like the cut of their jib yeah it's sort of ref- like yeah, reflective of again his, his personal taste in, in things like it's not about what people say like these are the cool kids and this is the cool stuff to like like you like what you like Yep. and you get along with it, you get along with and yeah. and it's that's that's the way it is and everybody wants to change that mm. can get stuffed <laughs> or have a nice day <laughs> have a nice day that is that is my karaoke jam very nice it will be released as a bonus track at the end of this podcast oh god no it won't <laughs> <laughs> only because we can't pay the rights fees that's right well we can but my rights we're, fees we're not gonna <laughs> don't even allow what other people think of you to cross your mind 
That's why there's another. Don't even let it. Don't let it this pop in like, there for a second. That is that great is, advice. Like, great advice, but really, really right. hard to do in practice. Mm. But like, it's like the end of Ghostbusters when they're really trying not to. Yeah. Think. <laughs> what? <laughs> what just popped in there? But it's spot on because for me, like, uh, I've, I've been an exceptionally vain person all my life, and I'm trying my hardest to to get away from that. So I've I've made a big effort over the last five years to sort of you know, followed that sort of rule of not caring what other people think. But up until five years ago, I was extremely vain, still pretty vain, and worried about what people are thinking about me and how they perceive me. And I've noticed the difference as I've made the effort to be a little less vain, and life is better. You went on a real-life right angle about five years ago, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. It was in that cubicle at the wedding. Yeah, that's it. Discover what you like to do, then find a way to get paid for it. Well, he's certainly done that. Well, this is what we're doing right now, right? That's right. What we like to do, this podcast, <laughs> how do we get paid for well, it? Well, it's... I'm, I'm just... I keep checking the letterbox. I'm sure a check's in there, going to be in there soon. Don't worry. I, I wonder, though, like, I, I've thought about this quite a bit because when I was a kid and growing up, I wanted to be... I wanted to do something in sport or music. You know, I love sport and music. And I thought if I could um, maybe get a career in there, that'd be the ultimate. But then would your passion just become your job? Like if you, if I got a job in a rugby league club or something, would I still enjoy it or would it just become a big pain in the butt? Yeah, because... Similar yeah. With, with, uh, with rock and roll. I mean, I wonder if it's good to have a bit of distance, as I was saying yeah. before, like I now have with rugby league and I can appreciate it for what it is. If, if you're too close to something, does it affect your enjoyment? That's, that's how I justify my failed rock career, Jono. <laughs> I just say to myself, look... I didn't want to do this to live my life off. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have loved it so much. Well, I mean, there's a huge element of self-justification in what I'm saying too. (laughs) I'm sure I would have loved to have had a career in rock and roll and or rugby league. But, you know, there's self-justification in everything we say, really. That's right. Uh, Be anyone's friend but nobody's ally. You know, that's just Yeah, it's a similar one to the one about the loyalty one. Yeah, agree with that. Don't covet things that expire. Yeah, right, okay. Is that, is that a reference to not, to buy, not buying pets? I, <laughs> I was thinking milk. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's weird because... Uh, is I he mean, lactose intolerant? <laughs> so he, he's, he's, like, basically admitted in the book that, you know, like, cockrock or whatever, it's basically expired, right? Right. Well, no, it's, it's dying a death. It hasn't expired yet. Maybe it's... Uh, He's no, but I guess it will, it will still be around in some sort of underground yeah, little yeah. little. It's not going to die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I can't say I agree with that one. Like, you, you're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to let things die and then kind of miss them, aren't you? I mean, we all die. Yeah. Newsflash. I'm dying. Jono. I mean, not right now, but like, <laughs> we're all dying, right? We're all going to die. So, Edit point. No, sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Minimize. Edit points. Edit points. Minimize the number of things you do for money. Maximize those you do for love. Yes, I mean I, I've always had a theory that you need, unless you do what you love for yeah. a job, then you need something outside of work that you can focus on and you know grip, yeah. have, hold a, get a hold of a grip on. Uh, it might be you know becoming a black belt in karate. You yeah. might train to be a marathon runner. You might take up the guitar. But you need something uh, and basically concentrate less on what you're doing to earn a coin and find as much as you can to do something that's fulfilling. Well, unless you fulfill point four, uh, point five, sorry, which was discover what you like to do then find a way to get yeah, paid exactly. for it. So, yeah. so <laughs> excluding those people who are lucky enough. Don't become attached to objects. You'll only lose or break them. Is that the same as just covet the things that expire? Well, sort of. If you do lose something, don't let it affect your actions unless you can continue without it. Make an effort to find it, but accept straight away that you won't. That's a bit of a downer, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Except that you'll fail. No, well, I mean, I think the broader point is uh, get away from materialism, minimalism. I mean, he... He's not quite practicing what he preaches because he has like a storage cage full of like rugby league weeks. Mm. But uh, oh, well, he got rid of them to to be out. Got rid of one, which I bought. I think there's yeah, it's a broader point to worry less about the material possessions mm. and care more about experiences. Which 
is fair enough. That's a, that's a really, you know, it's a great thing to say, um, and I think it's it'll it'll lead to a more fulfilling life, a mascot style mm. life. It's very European kind of thing, isn't it? You know, a lot of European mm. people kind of don't ever own their own house. Yeah, they just kind of rent, happy with that, live a, a freer life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And lastly, be nice to people who hate you. I'm sure, no, no disrespect to Steve, but I'm sure like he's been able to practice that a fair bit because he's such a maverick, he's a maverick. in his field. And, and as we've said, you get your... Yeah. Do, do I say names? No. Uh, no? Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, you get your kind of arsehole journalists who are... Yeah. Uh, who Threaten just to punch you out. Yeah, that's when right. You, you, know, you get your... But I think that's really that's that's a really again a, a great way a great attitude to have and like nothing if someone like really really hates you mm. nothing riles them up more than you not hating them back or, or, you, or you're, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not caring about how they and you're like hi how are you like simple yeah. and then go on that's right. and it'll make them hate you even more or, or, or be even more how are you yeah. how are you going tell me all about your weekend yeah I mean, you don't <laughs> want to stoop to their level I mean living a life that's filled with hate is a horrible way to live so if that person lives that way I mean sucked in I mean yeah, it doesn't right. mean you have to uh, yeah. living a life that's filled with hate is just a horrible way to be yeah. so good advice that is just some good rules there Steve. yeah uh, that list really jumped out at me so I thought I'd talk about it with you guys We were uh, in negotiation to have Steve Mascord on the podcast, but obviously due to the um, jet-setting lifestyle that we've described, he's uh, not in a uh, conducive time zone to when we podcast now. So we had some questions ready to ask him, Mm. didn't we, Jono? Yeah, and the, the thing about it is once you've read an autobiography, you become an expert like a, a psychology expert about the person that you're reading about. So I think we're in a good position to not only ask those questions, yeah. but answer on his behalf. All right, so give us something you were going to ask Steve. Okay, well, I'll ask it in my sort of, you know, coming attractions uh, movie trailer voice, and then I'll answer it in my own voice as Steve would have answered it. All right. So I, Steve would have answered in your voice? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I can't do Steve's voice. It's a very tricky voice to do. Right. He's, got, he's got a very distinctive laugh. But he can but do yours. Yes, okay. it's very good. Okay. <laughs> so, because I've read the book, I'm an expert in Steve Mascot. I know him, so he's going to know what to say. So, at the start of the book, you're wondering whether you've wasted your life through obsessions with rugby league and rock and roll. Do you think the act of writing the book, putting these experiences down on paper as one consolidated record, helped to legitimate your life to you? Which, I think, Steve would have said. Firstly... Great question. Uh, you know, do you do <laughs> and, this? And you look very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> You've got more hair than you say to you. <laughs> he would say, "Great question. You know, do you want to do you want to go into business together, perhaps?" But I think he would have <laughs> said, "Wouldn't that just be the truth?" <laughs> I think he would have said, "Yes." <laughs> Next question. Move yeah. on. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> no, I think I, I think what. So when you're going through this phase in your life where you think, "Have I wasted my life?" Uh, what's what have I got to show for it? All of a sudden, he's making something that he's got to show for it. Mm. He's physically putting it down on paper, and at the end of it, it's one consolidated tome of all those experiences, which are all sort of just floating around in the air somewhere. And now it's one big, fat, exciting book. And I wonder if that helped him um, make his whole journey feel a bit more legitimate. I wonder if the act of actually writing the book. Was, was part of the, the healing process. Yeah. yeah. There's my question. There's my answer. Oh. Well, I think I would have asked him just about, would have kind of deep-dived on some Illawarra Steelers players. You know, Alan McIndoe or Paul Upfield. <laughs> Who's your best uh, three-quarter, you know? Yeah, gun to the head, choose one. Yeah, choose one. Yeah. Skiffaletti or Pincinelli. Who, who, <laughs> who's uh, the most interesting one there? Yeah, you know? best Italian name. Pincinelli, <laughs> Skiffaletti. Right. Craig Diamond. Did we see the best of him at the Steelers before he moved to the Sharks? Yeah. <laughs> What's the story there? That, that's, that, that's the kind of direction I would have gone. And how, how would he answer? How would he answer? Yeah. 
Because we know him very well. We've read the book. Yeah, all of the above, you would have said. <laughs> yeah, well, it was so, a great so, question. So the slug can't do a Jono voice, so he can't answer. No, that's right. So I can't answer as Jono doing Steve. Um, yeah, so if I was to ask a question, it, it, it wouldn't really be based on, on the book or anything. I would love to ask Steve about if, if he could shape or if he was in a position to have shaped rugby league through all this... This, you know, we'll say from the Super League War to now. Yeah. How would he have done it, or what would he have, what what would he have liked to have seen? So, Steve, he was a Steelers fan, right? But he's also he, he also knows about reality. So he wouldn't have said, I think the Steelers should be there, and I think whatever, because um, if the numbers don't stack up, the numbers don't stack up. So in his knowing what's best for the game and also what is uh, a commercial reality, how would what what would the result? From the Super League War, how would he have liked to have? What would he have liked to have seen happen in terms of teams? You know, rule changes, anything and everything, mm. um, and and go from there. Yeah. And, and how would he answer? Well, he'd answer by saying, "What an insightful question. <laughs> Let me sit you down, handsome man, and uh, you can be my new best friend." <laughs> I think you'd answer, it's 2.30 in the morning here, leave me alone. I don't know how to answer, and that's why I'd ask him the question, you see. All right, fair enough. Um, but I'd really, I don't know, it's it's rare that you find people with, he's just so, such a visionary, I, I know I'm, I'm harping on about it, but in rugby league it's rare to find people that have vi- that have a vision that is for the love of the game rather than themselves. Yeah. And that's definitely what he's about, and I really respect that. Well, that's a good place to end it, I think. So, uh, yeah, that was Touchstones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will come back with some more PRL book clubs, but uh, you know, obviously follow Steve on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Oh, us yeah. as well. We'll, we'll retweet interesting things from Steve, so spend more <laughs> attention with us, and um, you won't miss out on any mascot action. That's right. Buy Touchstones. It's a great book. Yeah. Uh, subscribe to Forty Twenty Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, more importantly, subscribe to us. Oh, subs- <laughs> yeah, it's <I'm> implied. <laughs> Um, what else? Listen to White Line Fever. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, buy some merch from Mascot Browns. That's right, yeah. Do all that. Um, tell them the PRL boys sent you. Yeah, that's right. We'll that won't it. do you any good for a discount. <laughs> just tell them anyway. <laughs> and we will say goodnight. See ya. See you all in Rugby League We Trust. <laughs>